what we're doing is we're giving a platform to people to give criticism and to, you know, quote unquote, hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. And they have no credibility or they have no authority to do so. That would be like, that would be like uh, my son, Luca, who plays flag football. And he's eight years old. That would be like him going up to Darren and saying, hey, you're wrong in your backpedal. You need to be flipping your hips better. You need to do it like me. Like, I know how to do it. You're wrong. No. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what these analogy. people who have no education in it, no experience in it, but they have an opinion, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's exponentially louder now through social media. Tyler, are you familiar with the man named Jonathan Haidt? Why do I know that name? He is a fam I'll help you out. He's yeah. a famous social psychologist. That was me answering. I have no idea, but I want to feel like I'm I, everybody to know that. Like, hey, I'm in the know. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. We all do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, remind me. Yeah, you know. yeah. What's his name again? Is yeah. It? Oh yeah, yeah. I know the, the the social media the yeah. speaker no, no, the, the, old, the old. Oh yeah, I just can't put a face to it. Yeah. Name. Oh hold on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. Well, Jonathan Haidt uh -huh. is a famous, well-known social psychologist, and he also writes. He's a writer. He's a social psychologist, author of books, everything like that. So, is that what writers are? That's authors. He, he's a writer of. He's a writer. A writer of. A truth. writer of authors. <laughs> <laughs> but he also writes for the Atlantic, which okay. I don't read all the time, but it's a publication, um, a news publication. Uh, but very well known, very yeah. respected in his industry. Uh, a lot of people besides you know who he is. Um, but he wrote an article this past week that the title stuck out to me. And I said, man, this is too good. We've got we've to cover this yeah. on the podcast. Because, again, the title caught my attention, which is good for him. That was Boom. the point. Well done. The title, Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. If that doesn't catch your attention, I don't know what will. Are you intrigued? <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this new information? Is this is this supposed to be surprising? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yes, I would. I would click that article. Absolutely. Yes. So I did, and this was a this was a beefy article. Yeah. In fact, I think the article was 32 something pages. He he he, he advertised it as an article. And it's actually a white paper. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually it's a, a short novel. <laughs> So, like I said, 32 pages, but I said, man, we got to cover this. And yeah. so what I did is I went through, I read it, I did the hard work for you guys, and I reduced it down to a few pages. So there's going to be a lot of reading today, but I yeah. think it's valuable. And, and what I wanted to do, basically, is I wanted to go through this article, get your opinion, get your thought, get your feedback, get our thoughts together as a, as a, as a partnership. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I've got, I got kind of a funny story. When, when we were talking about this the other day, uh, when you found the article, um, you were on speakerphone and my daughter was there mm -hmm. and, and I made a comment like, yeah, I love talking about how stupid our culture is. <laughs> I, do, I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Um, she got on you and she's just kind of like looks at me. Like she kind of gets taken back and then we get off the phone. And she's like, daddy, who was that? I was like, it's Mr. Ben. And she's like, why would you, why do you like talking about how stupid people are? <laughs> like I'm a part of that generation. Oh, <laughs> go, wow. 
I said most people, baby girl. That, You're hey, and I'm like, that's a very darn. that's a very astute yeah observation for a nine yeah. year old. Good and I said, I, I said, look, baby, I'm I'm a part of this too. Yeah. So we we're are. all we're in the same yeah, boat. We're in the meat of it. We're all in the same sinking we're raising, boat. Yeah, we're, we're all in the same sinking boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he starts the article. If you're familiar with the biblical story, the Tower of Babel, which was a story where everybody got together and they decided they were going to build a tower together yep. up to heaven to get to the heavens to right. get to heaven and they were going to say you know they were going to work together on this they were going to be more powerful than whatever well because the story goes that at the time everybody spoke the same language right. there was and, one language right and as the story goes god came down he didn't like that they were trying to do this so he confused all their languages they weren't able to work together the tower of babel Basically, well, was fell. They wake up. Right. Everybody speaks different languages. That's, right. that's what creates the different tribes. That's right. So that's yeah, and that's how we end up with our yeah. different countries and, and cultures now. Right. So that was the context he opened the article up with. So it's going to be a lot of ref, ref, references to the Tower of Babel. What his point was is we've we've almost undergone a second coming of the Tower of Babel the last ten years, which is basically we created this thing, social media. Yeah that we thought was going to bring us all together, yep. connect us more than ever. Mm-hmm. We were going to be ultra powerful. And this was going to be great. But what it's actually done the last 10 years is actually torn us apart yeah. and made us worse than ever. Mm-hmm. So that's the context that starts this article. Okay. So what, and again, what he introduces, what he starts it with, and I want to read here is where things started to fall apart. And so from the article, he says, historically civilizations have relied on shared blood, gods, and enemies to counteract the tendency to split apart as they grow. Social psychologists, social scientists, sorry, have identified at least three major forces that collectively bind together successful democracies, social capital, strong institutions, and shared stories. Social media has weakened all three. To see how, we must understand how social media changed over time, and especially in the several years following 2009. In the early incarnations, platforms such as MySpace and Facebook were relatively harmless. But gradually, social media users became more comfortable sharing intimate details of their lives with strangers and corporations. Right? Everybody's got a phone now, selfie mm-hmm. stick, we're okay sharing. Yep. Hey, I'm taking a dump right now, check out this, this number two. I just, <laughs> like, people are okay sharing that type of thing. That's yeah. what we got to. <laughs> Once social media platforms had trained users to spend more time performing and less time connecting, right? Because again, the inter- initial intention was, hey, this is bring us together, we're all going to connect. Yeah. But it slowly morphed into, hey, I'm performing now for you. Yeah. So once social media platforms had trained users to spend more time performing and less time connecting, the stage was set for the major transformation, which began in 2009, the intersection of viral dynamics. Hmm. So whenever that shift happened back in 2009 from we're going from connection and now we're all needing to perform, that's when he said it all started to fall apart. So Facebook offered users ways to publicly like posts with the click of a button. That same year, Twitter introduced something even more powerful, the retweet button, which allowed users to publicly endorse a post while also sharing it with all of their followers. Shortly after its like button began to produce data about what best engaged its users, Facebook developed algorithms to bring each other, to bring each user the content most likely to generate a like or some other interaction, Mm. eventually including the share as well. So it went from, you know, 
posting about your family to now what's going to get me the most likes? What's going to get me the most interaction? And that's what Facebook discovered. Hey, how can we get people to spend more time? We need to add this like button. Twitter said we need to add this retweet button. By 2013, social media become a new game. If you were skillful or lucky, you might create a post that would go viral and make you internet famous for a few days. If you blundered, you could find yourself buried in hateful comments. Your post's road to fame or ignominy, never heard that word before, Mm -mm. based on the clicks of thousands of strangers, and you in turn contributed thousands of clicks to the game. The new game encouraged dishonesty and mob dynamics. The newly tweaked platforms were almost perfectly designed to bring out our most moralistic and least reflective selves. The volume of outrage was shocking. It's not just a waste of time and scarce attention that matters. It's the continual chipping away of trust. An an autocracy can deploy propaganda to use fear to motivate the behaviors it desires. But a democracy depends on widely, widely internalized acceptance of the legitimacy of rules, norms, and institutions. When citizens lose trust in elected leaders, health authorities, the courts, the police, universities, and the integrity of elections, then every decision becomes contested. Every election becomes a life or death struggle to save the country from the other side. Mm. Boom. Talk about an opener. What's your reaction to that? I agree. I mean, I agree on a lot of, a lot of things, right? There's some things that I heard in there that I'm like, hmm. Um, one of my questions is, is on the social media. Let's start with the trust. I'll start at the end and work backwards is trust in the government, trust in the voting system, trust in all that. Did social media did social media just call that out mm-hmm. or did social media create the distrust, right? Because I think some of these things have been happening prior to social media. Sure. Um, but I think the awareness, the platform of that has just put it in the light and put it to the forefront. Now, what it is, though, is whatever side you serve, you're feeding that beast. Right. The extreme side of it, whatever you're trying to push. So, so when, he, when he summed it up, I agree. I totally agree. It's, it's creating this distrust. Everything is contested because if it doesn't agree with me, then it's fake. Then it's not real. Now, now we're like, okay, is this fake? Is it not real? Is it true? Is it not true? We, we talked about that in that wisdom, um, mm-hmm. that wisdom series that we did about, okay, we don't know what's true because are you pushing your agenda? Are you pushing truth? Are you pushing something else? What, what's your alternative motives? Yeah. And that's what social media has done. Now, do the performance thing is on point yep. because none of it's authentic. I'm not saying none of it. 90% of what you see is not authentic. Well, what are you rewarded for? You're rewarded for extremism. You're rewarded yes. for outrage. You're rewarded for but even, all even these so, things. So like, I think we go through these cycles. I think that we look for these like shocking things, mm-hmm. but then like we get tired of that. And then we're looking for like wholesome things. Yeah. Right. So that's why we see now these families, these family accounts that are crushing it because they've got some cute kids and they're doing projects and they're um, hanging time, you know, traveling in an RV all together. And, and there was like, that's the wholesome feel. But how much of that is real? That's that. That's the yeah. Instagram filter of right. this perfect life and this wholesome deal. And then behind the scenes, it's a mess. Yeah. But the optics of a perfect family is what gets them the likes, the 
followers, the sponsorship dollars, the partnerships, mm-hmm. the revenue. Right. So I, I agree. It's, it's become a performance. And, yeah. and it's like, well, I'm doing this. I'm not doing I just want you to see my family. Well, no, not true. And, and even the people that are like, oh, I'm showing you everything. You're showing it because you want people to like that stuff mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it because I just want to share it. Because if you just, if you just wanted to share it, then you just live your life. Yeah. Well, think about the last 10 things. We'll just thought 10 things that you've shared with your friends, a clip you've shared with your friends. Yeah. How many of those were true, wholesome, good things happening versus something hilarious, something outrageous, something, look at this idiot. Yeah. I'd say like good, wholesome, like probably, well, see, I've got a men's group that, that we share a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, it depends, but I would say like, I would say like, Three to four out of ten right. items are good and wholesome. Good, the rest right. are just like, oh, right. dude, dude just did a triple backflip <laughs> on a dirt bike. That's yeah. crazy. Well, because we're drawn to what's new. Yeah. We're drawn to what's different. Yeah. That's that's why that's what's been rewarded is right. the outrageous people get attention because that's different. That's not that's out of the norm. And we talk about the break of trust. Think about the last two years. I would argue oh, yeah. that in general we are in a less trustworthy place from our scientists to our health officials. We, we trust them less today than we did in 2019, I would say. 1,000%. Right. I mean, there's, so, there's so, no doubt. And so social media amplifies yeah. that mistrust because yeah. whereas they could hide that in 2008, 2005, because we just weren't as connected online, Yep. You could hide because I, I do agree. I think this has always been around. I think there's always been corruption and mistrust, yeah. but you couldn't spread it as quickly. Yeah. But in 2009, now all of a sudden we've got this platform, this opportunity to share all this. And that's yeah. what ha, has this mistrust and this or this sorry, has this lack of trust pulled us together in a way that now we're all working together for the same goal. Not really. No. No, it's pulled I agree. us apart. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's his point. That's the ba- the Tower yeah. of Babel yeah. metaphor, right? Yeah. We we we've created this thing to try to pull us together, but really every now everything's contested. And what is everybody thinking right now in November? Gosh, we got to freaking we we better start voting more Republicans in so we can save our country. Yeah. That's what most people are thinking, right? Look at all the poll numbers. Yeah. Democrats are getting crushed right now yeah. because people are now thinking I bet we got to vote my side back in so we can save this, so we can get back right, so we can save everything. Instead of saying, okay, how can we get together with yeah. the other side, whether yeah. you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, how can we get together and form a, a common ground yeah. to all better ourselves? Yeah. No, it's, it's I'm going to vote against them. One side or the other. Right, so yeah. that we can save this thing. Yeah. And that's what social media has, has yeah. um, amplified. Yeah. And so back to, the, back to the article, he talks about politics after Babel is the title of this next section. He says, what changed in the 2010s? A mean tweet doesn't kill anyone. It is an attempt to shame or punish someone publicly while broadcasting one's own virtue, brilliance, or tribal loyalties. It's more of a dart than a bullet, causing pain but no fatalities. Even so, from 2009 to 2012, Facebook and Twitter passed out roughly 1 billion dart guns globally. We've been shooting one another ever since. I love that line. Yeah. Social media has given voice to some people who had, who had little previously and has made it easier to hold powerful people accountable for their misdeeds. The warped accountability, quote-unquote accountability, of social media has also brought injustice and political dysfunction in three major ways. 
First, the dark guns of social media give more power to trolls and provocateurs while silencing good citizens. Second, the dark guns of social media give more power and voice to the political extremes while reducing the power and voice of the moderate majority. And then third, political extremists don't just shoot darts at their enemies. They spend a lot of their ammunition targeting dissenters or nuanced thinkers on their own team. In this way, social media makes a political system based on compromising grind, based on compromising grind to a halt. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's spot on with those three points. Uh, again, <laughs> it's, it's exactly right because it, think about this. What we're doing is we're giving a platform to people to give criticism and to, you know, quote unquote, hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. And they have no credibility or they have no authority to do so. That would be like, that would be like uh, my son, Luca, who plays flag football. And he's eight years old. That would be like him going up to Darren and saying, hey, you're wrong in your backpedal. You need to be flipping your hips better. You need to do it like me. Like, I know how to do it. You're wrong. No. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what these analogy. people who have no education in it, no experience in it, but they have an opinion, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's exponentially louder now through social yep. media. And so the problem is, and then to the second point, is all these trolls now, these voices are getting louder and louder. People jumping on the bandwagon. They see it because it's on the internet, because they see it posted. We take that as truth, mm -hmm. and now they're an echo chamber for those outlandish, ridiculous claims and criticisms. And they're then, you know, throwing those out there. So now people are seeing this regular and now we see it as a regular theme on social media or on, online. And now we're thinking, oh, it must be true. I'm seeing it all over yeah. the place. Yeah. And that's what these retweets do. Like people will retweet. Right. And again, that's, I guess that's dated on Twitter's whatever, but like, well, Twitter might be being saved. Did you hear Elon might be buying Twitter? Wow. Did you hear that? Yeah. Majority stake. <laughs> yeah. He's no, he offered, he's offered $52 billion to buy Twitter, to buy all of it, to buy all of it. He's already the largest shareholder. He's already the largest shareholder. Yeah. Now he's sitting there thinking, Screw you guys. Dude, yeah. either you sell me the company yeah. or I'm going to sell all my shares and, t and tank your stock. Tank it. So <laughs> what a brilliant move. So anyway, hopefully Twitter that's will be a safe. Flex. Anyways, <laughs> but, but that's what, that's exactly right. Is it's like, all this just nonsense, people that come in and like, I think of, I, I follow a lot of like ranchers, right? And you come in and you, if you follow any of these like big ranches that have a big following and all of these anti-meat eaters, all these, all these trolls that are coming in saying, you're going to, you're killing the environment. It's murder. It's this, it's all of these things that have zero validity at all. Zero, like, oh, you're killing the environment. Oh, really? Like, you think that this, is, this farming right now is what is causing mm -hmm. all of the environmental issues that we have? Yeah. No. By, by animals eating grass, mm -hmm. that is what is killing our environment. Yeah. And it's like all these just crazy, crazy thoughts. And then now people are like, oh, yeah, i got to eat these, these vegan meats because I can't eat beef because it's killing the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. Well, that's a perfect segue to what I was going to say. Point number three is we've lost nuance yeah. in our discussions. Exactly what you just said. You're killing the environment. You're killing everybody. Instead of saying, well, maybe there's different factors that are at play here. Yeah. Think about the last, when's the last nuance COVID discussion? 
you heard. It's either you're, you want to kill everybody yeah. because you don't want to mask or get the vaccine. Yeah. Or it's, you know, or the other side, the opposite side of that. Yeah, you're, right? you're a robot and the right. system's controlling you. Exactly, right. Yeah. You're, you're a sheep. Yeah. Right. So there is no nuance. There is yeah. no discussion of, well, for some people, the yeah. vaccine, the, the vaccine works. Yeah. And for others, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Hey, for some people, natural immunity is great. And yeah. for others, yeah. you know, maybe they do need the boost of, of an actual vaccine. Right. Yeah. We've lost. It's either all or nothing. Yeah. That that's the mentality now in social media yeah. is you're either with us or you're against us. And that's what they're saying. Now we attack people if they don't wholeheartedly. We, we don't allow for nuance. Yeah. Nuance thinking. Yeah. Um, the next section he talks about is, he, he titles it Structural Stupidity. I think you'll like this one. Part of America's greatness in the 20th century came from having developed the most capable, vibrant, and productive network of knowledge-producing institutions in all of human history. But this arrangement is not self-maintaining. It relies on an array of sometimes delicate social settings and understandings, and those need, and those need to be understood, affirmed, and protected. So what happens when an institution is not well-maintained and internal disagreement ceases? This, I believe, is what happened to many America's key institutions in the mid to late 2010s. Yeah. They got stupider in mass because social media instilled in their members a chronic fear of getting darted. Yeah. I love that line. This arrangement is not self-maintaining. Yeah. So the statistic, and I forget the exact numbers, but they talk about Businesses, first generations, say you're, say you start a business today Mm -hmm. and then you try to pass it to your sons to to keep on the business. The rate of failure that your sons will keep that business going is something like 20 or 30%, something crazy, right? The chances that that business is going to fail once you pass it along. Uh When they pass it along to their kids, the fail rate goes even higher. Why is that? The third generation that was passed on that business, what did they do to earn that business? Nothing. Not a damn born thing. Born into it. They were born into it. Didn't they were see given the struggle. They were given that. They didn't have to struggle for it. They didn't have to stay up late all night just trying to keep the business afloat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I actually heard our, our friend Andy Frisella actually made this connection I thought was brilliant, which I don't agree with everything he says, but this was really good. He said, You can think of America the same way. Think about our founders. They founded this country. They set all these principles into place. Now, again, did they make mistakes? Yes. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of dirty parts of the past. But the point is, each generation that's inherited this freedom, which was ne- had never been seen before, mm-hmm. we're like the freaking spoiled third-generation kids that, inter- yeah. inherited an, that got an inheritance. Yeah. We didn't have to fight for it, literally. We don't have to struggle for it. Everything's good. Life is pretty easy here yeah. for the most part. Now, obviously, there's some yeah. that struggle more than others. But for the most part, life is good here. And now we're starting to see, we've talked about this before, we're starting to see that because we didn't have to work for it, things are starting to go downhill. So it's not self-maintaining, as no. he says. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, clarify, though, just because your grandparents started a company and you're running it now does not mean no. That- yeah, chances statistically anything, speaking. Statistically, let me say if it's thirty percent that fail, that yeah. means seventy percent are still yeah. yeah successful. Right? Yeah, exactly. But, but statistically speaking, but yeah, it's it's reality, right? right? What they say: first generation earns it, second generation spends it, third generation loses it. Man, yeah, that's and that's that's where we are. And then he goes in a section called "Democracy After Babel." 
So politics after Babel, now he talks about democracy after Babel. He said, we can never return to the way things were in the pre-digital age. And yet, we do not make major, if we do not make cha- major changes soon, then our institutions, our political system, and our society may collapse during the next major war, pandemic, financial meltdown, or constitutional crisis. What changes are needed? Redesigning democracy for the digital age is far beyond my abilities, but I can suggest three categories of reforms. Three goals that must be achieved if democracy is to remain viable in the post-Babel era. And I wanted to go through these three quickly. That's kind of the major part of this episode. Number one, we must harden democratic institutions. For instance, the legislative branch was designed to require compromise, yet Congress, social media, and partisan cable news channels have co-evolved such that any legislator who reaches across the aisle may face outrage within hours from the extreme wing of her party, damaging her fundraising prospects and raising her risk of being primaried in the next election cycle. Reform should reduce the outsized influence of angry extremists and make legislators more responsive to the average voter in their district. I couldn't love that idea anymore because that's so true, right? You think about any major bill that's brought. Mm-hmm. It's usually <laughs> a dominant majority of the Republicans vote one way, a dominant majority yep. of the Democrats vote one way, and then we usually don't get anywhere because we're not reaching across the aisle either direction. Mm-hmm. We're not reaching across saying, all right, where can we compromise here? Yeah. That's how it was originally intended, right? Well, let's, let's, let's talk this out. Let's come to an agreement. But now there's so much fear in, well, I'm not going to get reelected if I don't vote you know, Democrat or if I don't vote Republican. That's really bastardized that institution uh, and the way that we run things. Yeah. And, and I, I think, right, what he's saying is, is the – the implementation of social media has just created such a division that I can't, I can't associate with the other side. That's right. Because like you said, the backlash, like if you were to step on the other side of the aisle, the backlash that you would feel and get you out of office on the next election cycle. Now, again, challenges is like, how long do we want politicians in office? Right. Right. It's, you know, is this a career for you or are you just, are you there for service? Yeah. But, but I agree. And that's, man, this, this whole party system, I wish we could just do away with it altogether. And yeah. maybe that's stupid. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to politics just because I, I try to stay away from it as much as I can uh, just because it's like, gosh, it's, it's – and this is, this is not a great way to approach it. It's, so, it's just so useless right now to me. It, all it does is bring anger. All it does is bring division. All it, It's like I just don't want to deal with that yeah. in my life. But that's not about, the right yeah. way to do it, but that's what everybody yeah. does. Right? That's what most of us do. We just put our head in the sand. Like, I don't want to deal with it. It's too stressful. And, what the, and that's and how then, we get here. And then there's no accountability, and that's, <laughs> right. that's where we're at. But I agree. Is I just And, and Andy Frisella talked about it uh, on one of his recent episodes. It's just like how we approach it, this, this voting process is don't just go vote and vote for your party. Like, yeah. Spend a little bit of time yeah. understanding what policies are, understanding who the candidates are. Like, because maybe there's a Democratic candidate that aligns with all of the things. Like, vote for that person. Yeah. There's yeah. a Republican candidate that aligns with your vision as much as possible. Vote for that person. Yeah. And if we just were less, gosh, man, I just, the whole system on and how it's tied to fundraising and how it's, you know, tied to um, that party. It's like the people are hurting because of it Mm -hmm. and, and politicians are benefiting because of it. Yep. Yeah. I mean the, the small 
minority on either side of Republican Democrat yeah. are typically the loudest, but a lot of us fall somewhere in between where we agree with some of the things that one side or the other is doing. I'm sure that's where I fall. Yeah. Like I agree with some things Democrats, you know, do, especially socially. And, but you know, fiscally, I agree with more the, the Republican approach. Yeah. And so for me, it's okay. What is this? Now, nobody's going to be perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but what are the majority that none of us look at policies? We just look at the, it's a popularity contest, right? That's all that turns into. So to your point, if we just did a little bit of research before we go out and vote, now all of a sudden we're not just putting R down the whole list. Isn't it funny though? Like how little we grow up in high school. What do people say? Like when they're running for office in their high school, like school president, student body president, I'm going to get better food at the cafeteria. I'm going to do prom at a cool location. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do that. Not like stuff that's actually going to impact you. It's actually going to impact you. And we do the same crap. It's like, oh, lower taxes? Yeah, I'm in. Like, how are you going to do that? How is that going to impact the infrastructure? How is that going to impact the the overall population and quality of life? Oh, no more drilling. No more this. We're going to we're going to outlaw that and we're going to give it. It's like what are the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. How are we actually going to go how is that policy going to actually dig in? Yeah. And I just said that after I literally just said I don't do anything with politics. <laughs> yeah, sounds like so you know do quite as a bit. I say not as I do. <laughs> no, but I think if anything, this has woken me up to when November does come around to doing more research beforehand yeah. to understand who we're voting for. Yeah. I think if most of us did that, just that's really where we can start to make the change yeah. is through voting. Yeah. And I think what, again, because of the opinions shared on social media and what the social media has driven us as a society is the opinions have, um, have discredited history books. Mm-hmm. Think about like, and I, and maybe in, when you were there, you were a few years behind me, but the, cause there was a, a rapid shift. Cause I was like early two thousands, mid two thousands. And you were like end of the two thousands, right. In college. And I just think of like researching a paper. I couldn't take anything off the internet because if I, if I wrote a, one of my sources being on the internet failed. Because, no, whatever's on the internet is not true. Like, you've got to find it from a textbook that is um, that is at least fact-checked. Yeah. Right? And, and so, we could and, use the internet, but, yeah, we had to be very diligent about yeah, it. Yeah, so and we couldn't because there just wasn't enough, right. uh, wasn't enough sources out there that were credible. Right. And so I just think now, when was the last time we actually opened up a history book and learned from actual events that happened? and experiences as opposed to i feel like this about that policy or i feel like that about this policy it's just like truth and we talked about it man truth has just been has been buried very deep Mm -hmm. and it's all about how we feel yeah so that's number one we must harden democratic institutions number two we'll fly through this we must reform social media a democracy cannot survive if its public squares are places where people fear speaking up and where no stable consensus can be reached. Social media's empowerment of the far left, the far right, domestic trolls, and foreign agents is creating a system that looks less like democracy and more like rule by the most aggressive. Yeah. Stop right there. I want to say, (laughs) imagine if we created the Constitution of the United States. With social media? And social media was around. Yeah, it'd be be bad. Bro, (laughs) can you imagine that? Like, we're trying to, like, get a consensus on what the American people want. And... 
You guys, uh, leave it in our comments, what you guys want <laughs> included in the, the Constitution. God, that would be chaos. He says, those who oppose regulation of social media generally focus on the legitimate concern that government-mandated content restrictions will, in practice, devolve into censorship. But the main problem with social media is not that some people post fake or toxic stuff. It's that fake and toxic outrage-inducing content can now attain a level of reach and influence that was not possible before 2009. Yeah. In any case, the growing evidence that social media is damaging democracy is sufficient to warrant greater oversight by a regulatory body, such as the Federal Communications Commission or the Federal Trade Commission. This is where I, he loses me a little bit. I don't love regulation. Yeah. I mean, I understand his point, and, and he speaks to it. He said the people that are concerned about it are afraid of censorship. We're yeah. seeing a lot of that on platforms oh, yeah. like Twitter. Yeah. I just think, and again, I'm giving people way too much credit, unfortunately, here, but I do think it's still up to the individual to consume or to put out yeah. what they want to put out. Yeah. I, I think anytime you start to start you know, regulating that, you're starting yeah. to lose. Well, and here's, and here's, here's an example is to, to prove your, to back up your point is if you were in 2020 from April to December, if you were posting that, Hey, if you got in better shape and you got vitamin D and you, um, you got out of the house you would stand a better chance at combating COVID if you contracted it. Dude, why are you fat shaming people? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that what happens? That, yeah. that all of that was censored and that was misinformation by Instagram, who owned by Facebook, who is controlled by what party? Yeah, the, right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So now things are getting pulled off that we now know as fact mm -hmm. is true. Yep. There was labeled misinformation. misinformation. That, that's what turned me off to this whole government thing the yeah. last couple of years is yeah. when, when not one single government official came out and stated, hey, if you get healthier, you're going to stand a better chance. Yes. When not one single person, when that has not been at all the message, that's when I start getting something. When the people we are supposed to trust the most put more misinformation out because they were trying to give answers that they didn't have right. and they were guessing mm -hmm. and they were wrong. Yep. And they were wrong multiple yep. times. Yep. Yeah. There was no humility at the time. No. There was no accountability yeah. at the time. And now we're all paying for it. I mean, what's the number one rule in business, right? If a, if a customer or a client asks you a question that you don't know the answer, are you supposed to just make up an answer? Or are you supposed to say, be honest, Hey, I don't have that. I'm going to go find the answer. Yep. Imagine if that was implemented into politics. But, but it goes back to number one, people get so scared they're not going to be reelected. Yeah. If they don't have all the answers, they don't do what their party yeah. wants them to do. Yeah. And so they just get out this bullshit answer. Yeah. And that's, that's where we find ourselves. And then number three, this one's probably the most, the one we have most control over. Um, and, and the one I'm, you know, really want to focus on is we must prepare the next generation. Yeah says, childhood has become more tightly circumscribed in recent generations. What? Circumcised in recent generations. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, circumscribed. <laughs> here, here, here goes. I think you'll agree with this. With less opportunity for free, unstructured play, less unsupervised time outside, more time online, and, and more time online. Whatever else the effects of these shifts... They have likely impeded the development of abilities needed for effective self-governance for many young adults. 
Unsupervised free play is nature's way of teaching young mammals the skills they'll need as adults, which for humans include the ability to cooperate, make and enforce rules, compromise, adjudicate conflicts, and accept defeat. A brilliant 2015 study by economist Stephen Horowitz argued that free play prepares children for the art of association. He also argued that its loss posed a serious threat to liberal societies. A generation prevented from learning these social skills, Horowitz warned, would habitually appeal to authority to resolve disputes and would suffer from a coercing of social interaction that would create a world of more conflict and violence. Oh, that was a big breathful. But it's true. <laughs> the question I have about that, and this is where, like, I can get, go down the rabbit hole of, like, conspiracy theories and stuff like that, but am I willing to give enough credit to people for coming up with, like, these schemes and controlling people like, oh, we're going to, we're going to get you more online. We're going to get you on social media so that you conform to us yeah. and you go back to authority. Like the, the understanding of psychology, I'm not going to give people in power and I'm throwing up air quotes. If you're credit, just listening. Yeah. I'm not going to give that credit. Yeah. I'm with you. There's people out there that they're, they say, this is all a plan. This, yeah. Everything's been schemed. Yeah. I'm not willing to go that far. I think people are just idiots and they yeah. take advantage of situations. Yeah. So I'm with you now. Do I, yeah. Do I think that like they're seeing those things by mm -hmm. chance? Did we kind of get ourselves here? And yeah. they're like, Oh, now we can create this algorithm to further enhance that. Yes. I, I think that's part of it. But do I think, look, who, what, profession would you say uh, people trust the most that like we don't ask questions and it's yes what profession what profession would you say like if you're if you're if if, if doctors this profession, doctors yeah right not anymore <laughs> no well here's the deal i know more idiot doctors yeah. than any other profession <laughs> like and i'm like you're the one that i'm not even supposed to question right at all and you are a, yeah, you are something special. Yeah. Yeah. How did you make it through medical school? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, okay, just because you, you yeah. made it through school. Right. And so again, I, people, people are flawed across the board. I'm flawed. You're flawed. If you're listening, you're flawed. Everybody's flawed. So we've got to show grace in that. We've got to understand that, but we've also got to say, I want to, whatever you say, whatever information I gather I need to do my own diligence and I can't just blindly trust yeah. that that's true. Yeah. But talking about this section, I mean, think about our kids. I used to walk Dude. to school in elementary. Like I'm talking first grade, oh, a kindergarten. I used to walk three blocks and, and like this, like this is like down a street that had probably 30 houses down another street. That was another 30 houses and down another street to get to the bus stop yeah. kindergarten. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, five I watched, years old. My, mine was a five or 10 minute walk yeah. in, in elementary school. So that's a, that's a significant I would walk. ride my bike two and a half miles right. to school. But now like my wife freaks out if my son's out in the front yard by himself. Yes. And, 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 yeah. and again, I'm, 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 but I am too, to a certain extent. Yeah. But that's what he's saying. The line where he says, uh, unsupervised play is nature's way of teaching young mammals the skills they need as adults, which for humans include the ability to cooperate Make and enforce rules, compromise, adjudicate conflicts, and accept defeat. Think about all the things you learned on the Gosh, playground dude. when it was just kids. Dude. You had to work through conflict. Yes. You had to argue with each other. Some kid may got punched in the mouth. You have and to guess get in what? fights. Was, yeah. you, you had to get in fights. Yeah. Those are the things that we learned as kids that we were taking away. Yeah. Because, number one, and legitimately so, there's a lot of freaks out there that are 
abducting kids, at least enough to make us scared about it. But what, but what is increasing those numbers? Because I have this conversation with my wife all the time, right? These predators out there mm-hmm. is access to these things right. that is that is further that is further um, enhancing these uh, obsessions and like disgusting mm-hmm. habits, right? Yeah. That these predators are looking for kids, and so I, I, we have this argument with my wife all the time. It's like, and I used to always say, "I'm like, had the same ones when we were kids, and we were fine. I mean, it's no different. People are sick. They were sick then. They're sick now. Well, what we're doing is we're feeding those yeah. those those um, nasty desires, right? And it's mm-hmm. and it's ex- with the ability to just look up whatever you want to on this mm-hmm. phone. Yeah. Right. And so it's just making it worse and worse and worse. So do I think I think there is more out there. So I see parents like we're like, no, 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 helicopter, helicopter, I'm gonna protect you. But I agree. Like kids have to be outside. Yeah. Kids have to hurt themselves. Kids have to play together without parents and they've got to solve conflicts. Parents, we can't step into every single fight that our kid gets into and fix it for them. Right. Let them fix it themselves. Let them get in trouble and go to the principal's office. Let them have to apologize to somebody on their own merit, not because your parents made you do it. Yep. Real life example the other day, so my office sits by the outdoor windows that face out in our front yard yeah. at home. And my son, there's two girls that live right next door to us, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old that's my son's age, and they play all the time together. And the other day, I heard them arguing. Yeah. Now, it would have been very easy for me to get up and say, hey, Cooper, cut that out, whatever. But I just let it play out. I let them solve it themselves. And that's what we're taking. We're taking away that ability. Yeah. And so he ends that section with, he says, to prepare the members of the next generation for post-babble democracy, perhaps the most important thing we can do is let them out into play. Stop starving children of the experiences they most need to become good citizens. Free play in mixed age groups of children with minimal adult supervision. Yeah. If that's not a recipe for success, I don't know what is. Free play in mixed age groups, so all kids all different not ages. A, not the play dates with, with the minim- other five-year-olds. Right, with minimal adult supervision. Yes. So I love, like, we're going to my hometown this weekend. My, we've got cousins, that, you know, my, my son has cousins there that are all different. I love that because he's getting to play with older kids. He's yeah. getting to play with younger kids. He gets beat up. He yeah. gets taken, you know, he gets dominated in soccer, right? He, he gets these good lessons learned. I wish there was more of that where we lived. I know. That there were more older kids to beat him up a little bit, right? Because yeah. that's, how, that's how I grew up. I grew up with two older brothers. Dude, you know when I figured I wanted to play football? It was when I was six years old playing football at the park with a bunch of 15-year-old kids. Right, right. Now, it can go the other way. It could just crush your spirit. But that's the point is you figured that out yourself. You weren't tough enough to begin with. That's right. You figured it out yourself. Don't have it in you. It gave you good, healthy competition. And so then he wraps it up with hope after Babel. So end it on a good note. We've we've done a lot of bashing. Yeah, bashing. Let's end it on a good note. He said, the story I've told is bleak. And there's little evidence to suggest that America will return to some semblance of normalcy and stability in the next five to ten years. That's not very hopeful. (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) sorry my pages got stuck together yet when we look away from our most dysfunctional federal government disconnect from social media and talk with our neighbors directly things seem more hopeful most americans in the more in common report are members of the exhausted majority which is tired of the fighting and is willing to listen to the other side and compromise most Americans now see that social media is having a negative impact on the country, and we're becoming more aware of its damaging effects on children. Will we do anything about it? When, Toc- when Tocqueville toured 
the United States in the 1830s, he was impressed by the Americans' habit of forming voluntary associations to fix local problems, rather than waiting for kings or nobles to act as Europeans would do. That habit is still with us today. In recent years, Americans have started hundreds of groups and organizations dedicated to building trust and friendship across the political divide, including Bridge USA, Braver Angels, and many other listed at bridgealliance.us. We cannot expect Congress and the tech companies to save us. We must change ourselves and our communities. What would it be like to live in Babel after the days after its destruction? We know it, it is a time of confusion and loss, but it is also a time to reflect, listen, and build. And that's what I wanted to end this on. Because again, I, and I'm guilty more than anybody of getting lost and sucked down the rabbit hole of social media and all its bad effects and what it's doing to our country. But think about your interactions day to day with people yeah. in your community at work. I would willing to bet that 99% of those interactions are nice and cordial and sane. And people aren't just yelling at you for, cause you disbelieve you, you believe something. It's a much harder to be that crazy with somebody in person yeah so that does give me hope is that our daily interactions are more cordial at least in my experience no i think you're right i I see more good than i see bad in real life i think we saw that you know 2016 i think we saw that 2020 i think we saw that during ferguson i think we saw that it's the media displays this huge division Mm -hmm. in our country media social media and everybody, if you're white, you hate black. If you're black, you hate white. It's everybody hates each other. Uh, if you're a red, you hate blue. If you're blue, you hate red. In the real world, though, that's not the case. No. Like, not everybody is a racist in the United States. Right. Like, in real life, people, I do believe people really care about each other. But it's this picture and this, this horror movie that we're watching on social media it doesn't tell the real story. So I, I 100% agree with him. I mean, I sit next to a person in our office that has completely different political views than me, mm-hmm. completely different lifestyle choices than me, and yet we couldn't get along. I couldn't love that dude more. Yeah. He is one of the best people I know. Yeah. And we would probably disagree on most things when it comes to pop culture yeah. or government. But I still love the guy, and yeah. he's awesome, and I, and I truly value his friendship yeah. despite all these differences. So that's what does give me hope is that we spend more, most of us hopefully, spend the mo- most of our time in the real world. That's right. We haven't gone to the metaverse just yet. The problem is if we raise a generation oh. and keep going, then we are going to get to a point where people just want to spend, because kids are spending eight, nine hours online a day on social media. That's the majority of your waking so hours, bad. right? Yeah. So it's going to be up to us, Tyler and Ben, to raise our kids in a way that they hold these true values of in-person con- contact. Still use social media, still have those things. That's great. And use it for the good things. But it's going to be up to us to raise them in a way that sets us up for future success as opposed to keeping on heading down the path. Now, more people, listeners, listen to this more people need to take on that yeah. mentality yeah. because it is ultimately up to us to write this ship. Run through again. For those of you that are interested to dig in more to the article, run yeah. us through. Yep. If you want the article. full article, it's on the Atlantic uh, and it's Jonathan Haidt is the writer and it's why America has become uniquely stupid the last 10 years. So just type in 
Jonathan Haidt, The Atlantic, yeah. in Google, and you'll find it. I think The Atlantic does subscriptions. Uh, I'm not subscribed, but they. I think you can get like one or two articles for free. So okay. I was able to get that one for free. Sweet. Um, but yeah, if you want to read the full thing, which I highly encourage everybody to go read the full and draw your own conclusions. Yeah. This is just what we come up with. Yep. Based on reading that, draw your own conclusion. Maybe hey, maybe you think everything's hunky dory. We're all good to go. I think most of us though can agree that we need to write the ship. We need to start stepping up. We need to, be, and we say this every episode: get involved in our communities. Get involved in your homes. Quit being such a passive standby or 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 uh, what's the what's the bystander. word bystander right get involved and that's what we want to encourage here is by taking action that's well that's what we hope you get out of every single one of these episodes is to take action on something that you heard yep. we're not perfect we're learning ourselves we're trying to take action on these things as well but that's the hope here is to encourage yeah. you to take action so again is the entire picture bleak no i don't think so i think there's still hope out there if we take action yep and I think that's the point today. So hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you did enjoy it, help us by sharing the podcast, text it to a friend, share it on your social media. All those things help this thing grow and reach more people and encourage more people to live the way that, that, we, uh, that we need to get back to. Yeah. So the, the 30 minutes that you limit yourself to social media, share our stuff. That's right. The whole time. That's right. If you're doing 30 minutes, you're still doing way too much. But. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. We will catch you next week.